Hey, podcast family, welcome back to Clinical Pearls. In this episode, we're going to tackle a brand new clinical consensus that's coming out from ACOG in November 2023. Now, as point of reference, we're taping this in the last week of October 2023. This new clinical consensus, which is clinical consensus number six, deals with the use of compounded bioidentical hormones for hormone therapy. Okay? Compounded bioidentical hormones for hormone therapy. It's a great clinical consensus. And we're going to cover three main topics here. And when you first hear the questions, they sound like they're very straightforward, but there really is much more of a complicated answer than at first thought. So here's our three questions or three concepts that we're going to explain in this episode. First, is there ever a role, is there ever a place for bioidentical hormones? That's the first question. Second, is there ever a role for testosterone in postmenopausal women? And then the third is, what is ecologist's very direct, very blunt stance about compounded bioidentical hormones and their recommendation? Ooh, there's a lot to cover there, and we're going to give you some information about a novel, brand new estrogen that is bioidentical, that's already FDA approved for birth control, and that's being looked at now as a new FDA approved option, but not ready yet, a new FDA approved option for menopausal symptoms. We're going to cover all of this in this episode. We've got lots to cover. So let's get to clinical consensus number six, coming out November 2023, right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, if you listened to the intro, you may have thought, well, wait a minute, haven't we done stuff on bioidentical hormones and hormone therapy in other episodes in this channel? And the answer is absolutely. Of course we have. We've covered several opinions from the North American Menopause Society, a.k.a. NAMS. Oh, and here's an interesting tidbit. NAMS that had been NAMS for many, many years in North American Menopause Society is no longer. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. NAMS is still a thing. The people, the organization is still a thing, but is no longer called NAMS. That's right. NAMS, which had been NAMS for many, many years, is now simply called the Menopause Society. Now, I actually like this because North American Menopause Society sounds like it's very geographic uh, and very localized to, well, North America, right? I mean, North American Menopause Society, it's in the name. So by changing it to just Menopause Society really does emphasize its international reach and impact, right? So a lot of things from NAMS, even though it's North American, really does have a lot of input and a lot of uh, collaboration with international society. So I actually do like that, right? Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which you call a rose. By any other name would smell as sweet. 
sorry, Shakespeare. Yes, names really do matter, especially when they're the names of major medical organizations. So it sounds great in the play, but names do matter. So North American Menopause Society is now simply called the Menopause Society. I know it can get a little confusing, but it is what it is. And yes, we have covered previous things from NAMS, because that's what it was called back then. And now, of course, ACOG has taken some of that information and used more up-to-date info to answer those three core questions that we're going to get into. And I think this is super interesting because uh, we're also also going to talk about the first ever bioidentical birth control pill that was actually approved April 2021. So did you know that this was out there? Because it's been two years. Um, but things, you know, so many news is out there. And, and again, medicine does move fast. And we're bombarded with so much new data. But yeah, it's kind of neat that for the first time in nearly 50 years, we have a new birth control here in the U.S. that's FDA approved that's considered, quote, bioidentical. And by bioidentical, meaning non-synthesized, it's non-synthetic, it's plant-derived, which I guess would make the vegans happy. I don't know. It's plant-derived. And it's a very novel estrogen. We're going to talk about that because it it just goes to show how there really is this attraction uh, and this move towards things that are, quote, bioidentical. Okay. So so this really is a, a very important and broad topic. Because that estrogen in that in that new FDA approved birth control is now being looked at for menopausal symptoms. That was just presented at the end of September in the Menopause Society's annual clinical meeting. All right, that was held in Philadelphia, and uh, a new uh, FDA phased study. Uh, some of the results were published and presented. Uh, about this new uh, estrogen. We're going to talk about this one because it all relates to this. Remember, we're talking about uh, bioidentical hormones, all right? So let's answer this, and I'm going to get into this new estrogen in a minute because it is very, very interesting, both on the birth control side, and I'll tell you what that name is in a minute, and as it possibly is going to make its way into uh, the menopause realm, all right? So the first question, and I've gotten kind of attacked on this in the past, like, oh, Chapa, you don't like bioidenticals. You think everything has to be a non-bioidentical. Uh, where did that come from? What? I've never said that at all. Um, actually, I'm a big fan of bioidentical hormones. I think they're great. So it's weird how how people interpret some things, right? But no, no, no. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of bioidentical hormones, and they absolutely have a role. But here's where we diverge. I'm a big fan of FDA-approved, <laughs> commercially available bioidentical hormones, not compounded products. And FYI, as a spoiler, that is exactly what ACOG stands as well. And no, we're not siding on the side of big pharma uh, or the pharmaceutical co- you know, corporations and marketing. No, no, no. It's not that. It's that they have done at least some due diligence that's required uh, for clinical trials, clinical investigations, and safety and some kind of data for, for outcomes, all right? Compounding products do not. And so there's no way to regulate that and or standardize that. So I'll be very clear. Do I think that there's a role for bioidentical hormones? Yes, I think they're, they're fantastic. I think they have better tolerability. They have better safety profiles. Um, and there's FDA-approved options. And, and I think this is the catch here, is that many patients assume that everything that the FDA has approved or is, you know, traditional by prescription is, is synthetic. And, and that's, 
that's true for a lot of things, but not for everything. Uh, for example, this new birth control that we're going to talk about, and again, I have no financial ties to any products here, all right, guys? To be very clear, I don't get anything from any pharmacy uh, and or pharmaceutical company for mentioning these companies, all right? But this new uh, birth control that came out uh, is bioidentical, uh, fantastic, and it works very well for birth control. And it's very well tolerated. Uh, obviously, it works. Uh, and then it's now, like I said, making its way to the menopause realm. And, and I'm a big fan of estradiol, of micronized progesterone. How much have we talked about progesterone on this channel? Mainly as it relates to uh, preterm birth. Um, and I'm a big fan of of dehydroepiandrosterone, sophie, D-H-E-A, when it's FDA approved and in the right route. All right. So let's do a little board prep, shall we? Uh, so Dr. X, Y, or Z, because uh, I don't know this you a generic name. How about uh, Smith? Shall we do that? That's generic enough in the U.S., isn't it? If your name is Smith, no, don't, not, not trying to pick on you. <laughs> okay, so okay, uh, so Joe Smith, uh, thank you for being here. Here's your board question uh, for the American Board of OBGYN. Uh, is there a role? Does ACOG consider bioidenticals a thing? You see, sometimes it's in the wording, right? Like, oh, obviously, if you ask me like that, it must be no. No, absolutely not. I mean, that's not the right answer. I mean, yes, the college absolutely agrees that bioidenticals have a role. Where they diverge is what I'm trying to say here, and that's my point as well, is that compounded, not regulated uh, bioidentical products uh, can fall into some jeopardy. So yes, bioidenticals absolutely have a role. And let's just cover some of the, the main types that are already out there that patients may not realize are actually bioidentical. And just as a quick definition, bioidentical is things that are non-synthetic. Traditionally, they're plant-based and tend to be more like uh, uh, native uh, uh, endogenous hormones in terms of both their, their affinity for receptors and biological function, right? That what's, that's what bioidentical means. Things that are not synthetic uh, uh, and or you know, more plant-based and things that function more like the natural hormone both at the receptor level and its biological function. You see, here's where some of this confusion comes in. Because I've had patients, even though I do not have, just to be clear and totally transparent, I do not have a lot of menopausal patients, right? Uh, really around the age of 50, maybe 55, I got to let you go. I mean, I just, duh, I just don't like menopause. Uh, I, I'm up to date in it. I, 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 I think the data is fantastic. I think it's very fascinating. Uh, but things like prolapse, incontinence, God bless you, you take care of that. It's just not my thing, all right? As I mentioned many times before, I'm much more on the OB side. Uh, we, we folk, my focus is on, on the high-risk obstetrics side of things. But yeah, I don't want to turn my back on the rest of my discipline. I like knowing things about menopause, and, and I think we makes it well-rounded to do that. Um, but So I've had patients that are... Uh, you know, in their late 40s or you know, early 50s. And after I have the conversation that you got to go somewhere else, <laughs> um, and we talk about things like hot flashes and like, oh, no, I just want something more natural. Hey, man, there's FDA approved natural things. Somehow it became where if it's FDA approved, it's not natural. Is that, you get that? I mean, that's a real thing. And I'm not sure why that is the case. But the US FDA has approved bioidentical hormone therapies already. So for estrogen, there's estradiol. That's, of course, in an oral tablet. There's transdermal preparations, uh, and there's vaginal rings that can be applied as well. 
progesterone, we have either oral micronized progesterone or we've got two kinds of vaginal uh, applications, either the gel, which is crinone, or a vaginal progesterone insert that's about 100 milligrams. Uh, so we, we already have this. And in combination, there's oral estradiol and micronized progesterone together. Now, FDA has approved some androgens for very specific indications, and we're going to talk about that. But there is a testosterone gel that is FDA approved, but we're going to talk about for what indication. And there is a vaginal insert of DHEA, which is prasterone, uh, which is a, 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 a treatment uh, for a, it's a pro-hormone, so not a traditional hormone therapy for vaginal estrogen. We've covered this. If you go through the archive, we have uh, prasterone uh, as a topic that we've summarized in the past. So there already are bioidentical FDA options. That's not ACOG's beef here, all right? ACOG's focus is on the is on compounding these things because, again, you don't know what you're really getting. There's no oversight. And ACOG stance, which I'm going to give you here in a minute because, remember, that's one of our three topics is what is ACOG's very blunt stance here. Um, it's you have no idea what you're going to get. You have no idea about safety. So watch that one very, very closely. Okay. So if somebody ever asks you, are any has the FDA ever approved any bioidentical hormones for menopausal therapy? And the answer is absolutely. But again, we're, we're, as we mentioned testosterone in this, that's one of our focuses here, one of the main core questions that we're going to talk about because that's one that's easiest to abuse and is still in the wild, wild west of therapy, even though NAMS has given warnings on things like the testosterone pellet, all right? So if you're listening to this and you're very testosterone pellet friendly, I have no problem with you. You do you, I do me, but uh, a, that's not ACOG's thing, all right? ACOG does not like that, nor does the North American Menopause Society slash Menopause Society. And I will explain why. Well, shall we do that now? Hold on, I'll tell you what. Why don't we take this little break and um, let's get into testosterone coming up next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Testosterone. Oh my goodness. What a misunderstood and misapplied hormone product in menopause. We're going to explain here in a minute, all right? So let's be very clear right at the start, right now that we're talking about testosterone. ACOG reminds us, quote, currently there is no FDA-approved testosterone formulation for biological women, end quote. Actually, it says for cisgender women. Easier to say biological women, all right? So be very clear. There's right now no FDA-approved testosterone formulation for biological women. However, having said that, ACOG does state, quote, the ACOG's guidance on female sexual dysfunction notes that short-term use of transdermal testosterone. So let's stop there for a minute. All right, so let's stop. There's a lot to cover there already. First, 
for female sexual dysfunction. So that's the first indication. The second note is short term. And then the third is transdermal. Man, y'all see, we haven't even finished the statement. But right there, that tells you a lot. So number one, for for female sexual dysfunction, short-term transdermal, not intradermal, a.k.a. not a pellet. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But transdermal, let's continue with the statement. ACOG continues to say, quote, can be considered as a treatment option for postmenopausal individuals with sexual interest and arousal disorders who have been appropriately counseled about the potential risks and long-term unknown effects, all right? And some of these risks include hirsutism, acne, virilization, which may not be reversible. So they got to know that there are some risks here that if they're willing to take, then that's oh, absolutely okay, but there's a lot of unknowns here. There's also long-term unknowns, like the risk on breast cancer. We don't have that data on breast cancer, and we don't have any idea about the long-term impact on cardiovascular disease, okay? So, hey, I have zero libido, and I'm going through menopause and or went through menopause, you know, six months ago, and it's affecting my relationship. Nothing is helping. I've tried vaginal products. It's not the dryness. I just got nothing. The flame's out. It's poofed, gone, uh, and I can't get it on. All right, if that's the case and you've been consulted on possible alternatives for female sexual dysfunction and to make sure it's not depression or anything else, then maybe short-term transdermal testosterone may have a role, okay? Now, ACOG does continue this. See how it's going to soften the blow here just for a minute, and, and it does recognize something that's a little controversial, but, but it's true. So here's what ACOG says about the data, quote, a 2022 systematic review of RCTs on compounded bioidentical hormone therapy found that testosterone and DHEA both delivered vaginally compared with placebo demonstrate a significant improvement in vaginal atrophy in symptomatic postmenopausal women, end quote. So let's stop there. All right, so we've covered sexual dysfunction, which ACOG says, hey, if you want, if you need something that is uh, short-term transdermal, like a testosterone gel, then uh, even though that there's, we don't have any true FDA-approved, you know, options for this, then then it's absolutely fine. Uh, You can consider that if the risks and benefits apply. And then the second issue, ACOG recognizes that that bioidentical, hey, bioidentical testosterone and DHEA vaginally, yeah, that works. But here's ACOG's stance. While compounded testosterone and DHEA applied vaginally does seem to help, why would you have to use a compounded option when there already is an FDA-approved option, which is called Presterone? You get that? See how, how people take, it can get a little confusing because it sounds like double talk, right? Well, ACOG says, hey, a 2022 systematic review found that compounded bioidenticals vaginally does help with, with vaginal atrophy symptoms. And the answer is absolutely. That's totally true. But then it goes on to say, if you have an option between using a, a an androgen-based vaginal product that's compounded or FDA-approved, Use the FDA-approved one because it's more standardized dose and has better 
uh, a proven re- track record. Okay, so th- that's where testosterone fits in in postmenopausal therapy. One short term potentially for libido issues if patient understands the risks and benefits, and then the second is vaginally applied either as testosterone itself or as a pro hormone DHEA. And again, we've talked about that in a previous episode. But if you have a chance, use an FDA-approved alternative. We need to address this issue of the pellet form of testosterone, okay? So did everybody get what we just covered? Because it seems like there was a lot of info there. So does ACOG uh, uh, endorse a, you know, any testosterone and menopause will endorse and recognize are two different things, okay? Because it doesn't endorse anything that's uh, not data-driven, but it does recognize that, again, short-term use of transdermal testosterone for libido issues in menopause may have a role as long as the patient knows, hey, we, we don't know a lot of things and breast cancer data is just not there. We just don't know. And it's kind of scary. Okay. Uh, and then the second is for vaginal uh, application. But the take home was, man, we already got an FDA approved product for that, which is DHEA, which isn't even a straight testosterone, right? It's an androgen. It's an adrenal androgen. It's a pro hormone, but it totally has benefit for vaginal atrophy. Okay. So, so that's what we just covered. But let's get back to this pellet idea because both NAMS and ACOG don't like that one and neither do I. That makes me nervous because the pellet is not like Implanon, right? Where Implanon, you can, oh, if you don't like it, you make a little incision, you just take it out. Those are kind of fun to take out. That's not what we're talking about here. The pellet's not meant to be removed and, and that's the scary part, all right? So let me read you exactly ACOG's stance and perspective based on this clinical consensus guidance, uh, again, which is number six, from November 2023 regarding testosterone pellet therapy, okay? Quote, an increasingly popular treatment, testosterone pellet therapy, has the potential for better bioavailability and more predictable absorption when compared with IM injection or patches. All right, so let's stop there. See, that's a nod towards, hey, I recognize that, right? It's like, okay, I get that. It's probably better bioabsorption. Uh, You don't have to worry about uh, taking it by mouth and some uh, potential uh, GI effects because, just, hey, put it under the skin. Okay, so that's that. But it goes on to say, however, unlike oral or other preparations that can be easily discontinued, including topical creams and pills, the pellet is not designed to be removed, but instead is to be dissolved over time. Generally, new pellets are inserted every three to six months. It goes on to say, and here's the the concern, this route of administration potentially exposes the user to testosterone over a longer period of time compared with oral or topical products, end quote. And so that's the fear here is that pellet therapy um, seems to have the most concern because of how it's delivered, all right? And the fact that you can't remove it. So again, ACOG does recognize short-term transdermal, that, that could be a thing, vaginal, okay, even though there is not an FDA-approved testosterone gel or suppository for menopause, um, that the pellet could sound very attractive to some patients, but they need to be aware of the potential risks here. And again, the big risk, the, the main unknown 
is the long-term issue of testosterone on breast cancer risk and cardiovascular health, right? So if you ever asked about that, the answer was, I, I don't know. We don't have enough data for that. We, we, we don't have uh, enough long-term population level experience to say whether this is okay or not. Oh boy, I feel like I need to uh, just kind of soften that little blow that we just gave the pellet here for just a quick reason, right? Uh, we've got listeners, as I mentioned before, all over the world with various practices, and I'm super thankful for that. We've got listeners from Canada, from Latin America. Hola, ¿cómo están? Uh, there you go. That's your freebie for the uh, Latino folks. We've got people in the UK. Uh, we've got people in South Africa. We've got people in Australia. Hello, uh, mate. So we've got lots of people all over the world. And because practices are different, um, you, you, you may be very testosterone pellet friendly. Again, I'm not mad at you. You do what you got to do. I'm just saying that from the ACOG perspective, from the U.S. perspective and the menopause society's perspective, that kind of makes us a little unnervous, all right? Uh, it makes us a little anxious because well, it may be too much testosterone and we can't remove it. Not being able to remove something kind of makes us nervous. But Anyway, just wanted to soften that with that disclosure. You do you. I'm just got to stick to the data. We, we got to give uh, the data the chance to speak here. And that's why we're doing this episode. That's why we do this podcast. Uh, so please don't send me any ugly messages. The third stance that ACOG discusses in this clinical consensus is very clear, very blunt, very direct regarding how it feels on compounded bioidentical hormones. Uh, and it gives kind of the recommendation to us as clinicians how we should feel about them as well, all right? Not only in terms of their use and or recommendation outside of very, very specific conditions. So let me just give you this one condition where compounding maybe possibly could have a place, right? Let's say that somebody needs progesterone vaginal therapy uh, and, you know, the progesterone is a peanut oil based. And so the patient has a very severe peanut allergy. Well, in that case, hey, and ACOG recognizes it in the clinical consensus, hey, is hey, order her a compounded progesterone cream that is not a uh, peanut based, Right, that's logical, right? So ACOG says, "Hey, look, there's some caveat. Uh, there's definitely some condition slash scenario where compounded bioidentical hormones may have a place, okay? But as a general rule, in the main uh, stream area of medicine, I'm going to tell you what ACOG says there. All right, and it also has a very direct, very powerful word uh, about any clinician who is advertising." for compounded bioidentical uses, including the testosterone pellet. Ooh, okay, so, so yeah, I'm going to get to that in a minute because ACOG does not mince words. It's very clear, and it really leaves no room for altered interpretation, okay? I'm, but I'm going to address that in a minute because I do want to just briefly mention this new bioidentical version of estrogen that's now FDA-approved and already in commercial use as the first non-synthetic estrogen oral contraceptive combination pill, all right? So this was April 2021 when the FDA approved this novel estrogen that is not synthetic, like typically in birth control, right? It's ethanol estradiol, but this is not that. This is the first bioidentical plant-based estrogen combined with drospirinone. This new estrogen is E4 or S-tetrol. Yep, 
S-tetrol. That's four OH groups. Remember in the body, naturally, there's estrone as one OH group, estradiol, which has the diol a group, so two OH groups. There's estriol, which the placenta makes, which is three OH groups. And then S-tetrol, which is E4, which is normally made in the fetal liver. All right, so it's not made by the patient, not made by the placenta. It's fetal derived, obviously then only in pregnancy. Okay, so somebody asked, what are the three main types of estrogen? That's legit. That's right. That's typically what's in the body as estrone, estradiol, estriol during pregnancy. But then the fourth one, which is a fetal origin, is S-tetrol. Now, the new company that is marketing this together with Drospirinone has put the pill together as Nextellus, all right? So Nextellus, that's N-E-X-T-S-T-E-L-L-I-S. So Next and then Stellus as one word. This is the first non-ethanol estradiol uh, birth control in, in a long time. So as the FDA gave its press release back in April 2021, this is the first novel estrogen in more than 50 years, all right? And it's bioidentical because, no, it's not harvested from fetal livers. I mean, that we're not getting into that. But it's plant-derived uh, as, as a non-synthetic derivative of, of S-tetrol, all right? So there is an E4. Now, here's how it relates to what we're talking about. Because just at the end of last month, at the end of September 2023, Menopause Society had its annual meeting and data was presented there that S-tetrol, this E4, this bioidentical uh, estrogen, obviously had a role in menopausal symptom relief, and it worked very well because why shouldn't it? So we know that estrogen works for things like hot flashes. Uh, it worked for a vaginal dryness. That's not surprising. But the real benefit of this is that because it's very novel and it's it has a weaker estrogen-like activity, uh, the whole uh, uh, pitch is, the whole uh, um, attraction is, is that it seems to have a, a much more favorable metabolic profile than traditional uh, estrogens like conjugated equine estrogen, all right? So that's that's the big take-home here is that while it does relieve menopausal symptoms, it seems to be much more benign to, to the metabolic side of, of the body in terms of estrogen therapy. During the Menopause Society's meetings, data was presented from a phase three clinical trial that looked at E4 in, in the treatment, in the relief of menopausal symptoms, vasomotor symptoms, and more. But specifically, it looked at S-tetrol's effect on metabolic parameters. Now, listen to this, because this is a really nice uh, uh, be un unknown benefit uh, of this medication until now, all right? That S-tetrol, as this new novel estrogen, you know, bioidentical, actually decreased hemoglobin A1c, it decreased fasting plasma glucose, total cholesterol, LDL, and lipoprotein, and it increased HDL cholesterol. This was presented by Wolf Udium, who is professor at Case Western in Cleveland and also is, is a medical director for the Menopause Society. So this is a legit researcher. He's done a lot of work with this. And it's interesting that 
This new uh, uh, bioidentical non-synthetic estrogen, Estetrol, uh, this is not the first time that this has been in press. I mean, it was back in 2017 where other data was presented. Uh, that was a separate trial that found the exact same thing. Hey, that this estrogen actually does have this minimal effect on triglycerides, but actually lowers uh, bad cholesterol, uh, and seems to have some some beneficial effects on bone health as well, all right? So this is not the first that we've heard of this new novel estrogen as tetrol. And as you can see, the whole point of, of talking about this is not to plug this birth control, because again, I have no financial ties to this. But you see how this whole thing of bioidentical hormones is legit if it follows the appropriate testing, the phases of study to get FDA approval. And that's really ACOG's big message there. So back to our first question, is there a role for bioidentical hormones? Absolutely. But they should go through the, the regular and, and rigorous scientific testing, ideally to get FDA approval. And that's the beef, once again, with compounding is that there's very little oversight. So it's unclear what actually the patient is getting. And above all, safety is the biggest issue. So that's that's the big take home uh, from this new clinical consensus, even though I'm going to give you their final statements here that are very blunt and very direct. All right. Now, as a quick word about this estetrol, this is actually called a native estrogen with selective tissue activity. All right, guys, so let's process that for a minute, all right? This new estrogen, this estetrol, is a native estrogen with selective tissue activity. That's N-E-S-T, native estrogen, selective tissue activity. So we have CIRMS. Right, so we've got that. We've got um, um, progesterone receptor modulators like olipristol, and now we have nest molecules, native estrogen with selective tissue activity. So, estetrol, E S T E T R O L, or E four, is a nest compound, and that's what the FDA is calling this thing: native estrogen with selective tissue activity. All right, everyone, we're going to bring this home with the final message and the big clinical pearl here from this clinical consensus guideline. Again, that's clinical consensus number six from November 2023. And I told you in the intro that ACOG um, did not mince any words. It was not ambiguous by any means at all. It was very clear in their take on, on their stance on compounding bioidentical hormones. So let me give this to you directly uh, as it reads from this clinical consensus, okay? Now, there's two things I want to cover. The general statement and then the statement about marketing of these non-FDA-approved options, all right? First, the general statement from the college, quote, Compounded bioidentical menopausal hormone therapy should not be prescribed routinely when FDA-approved formulations exist. Clinicians should counsel patients that FDA-approved menopausal hormone therapies are recommended for the management of menopausal symptoms over compounded bioidentical menopausal hormone therapy. If a patient requests the use of compounded bioidentical menopausal hormone therapy, clinicians should educate them on the lack of FDA approval for these preparations and their potential risks and benefits, including the risks specific to compounding, end quote. All right, so it's very clear there. Again, as you, again, they didn't make that ambiguous at all. Clinicians should not 
routinely prescribe non-FDA-approved compounded bioidentical hormones. All right, so that's the end of that one. But then they also have a quick word, uh, a, a quick cautionary note about the marketing of these options. All right, everyone, uh, this is not my opinion. Again, it's right from the college. So don't get mad at me, all right? So if you're promoting uh, compounding as part of your practice, again, I'm not mad at you, um, nor is the college. They just have this next guidance to say, quote, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists advocates that obstetricians gynecologists should not sell or promote agents or devices as being therapeutic without an adequate evidence base for medical benefit. Physicians who dishonestly market a product as medically beneficial may compromise public trust in physicians' clinical advice. They go on to say, Clinicians should engage in individualized, patient-centered shared decision-making when discussing the benefits and risks of available treatment options in the context of a patient's values and priorities. This is especially essential when data are lacking on the benefits and harms of a medication or device, end quote. Well, all right, not ambiguous at all, is it? All right, podcast family, so let's quickly recap. Our first question is, is there a place for bioidentical hormone therapy? And the answer is absolutely, as long as they're FDA approved and have a proven uh, safety record and a record of efficacy. ACOG's beef is not with bioidentical hormones, but with the compounding of these in an unregulated way. Number two, we covered testosterone. Yes, testosterone has some data, as long as it's transgender short-term and patients are aware of the unknown long-term risks. And remember that there is some benefit to using androgen-based vaginal therapy, primarily DHEA, for vaginal atrophy symptoms. And then the third concept that we covered is the idea that ACOG is very clear on this and where it stands, and therefore where we as clinicians as followers of ACOG should also stand in the ordering or favoring of compounded non-FDA approved products, which is best not to do it unless there's no other way around it and the patient is part of shared decision making. And lastly, we covered the brand new and only bioidentical estrogen that's part of birth control and now possibly will be making its way into the menopausal market. That birth control again is called Nextellus. All right, podcast family, I hope you found that helpful. Let's bring this to a wrap. This clinical consensus is coming out November 2023, and as point of reference, we're taping this on October the 22nd. Probably we'll finish it October the 23rd. Our plan is to release it either on the 23rd or the 24th. I think we'll release it on the 23rd. I think so. Anyway, it's coming out soon, <laughs> but it's coming out regardless ahead of the official release of this ACOG clinical consensus number six. As always, we hope that you found this helpful. We're thankful for you. We're glad that you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.